Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we'll be talking about whether conflicting ideas about children should end a relationship between two 20-somethings, what to do when a friend is obsessed with her husband's band, and if it's acceptable to leave your partner behind and vacation without them if they're running late and miss the flight. Here to help me out is my guest, Ashley C. Ford. She's a writer, podcaster, and educator who's the author of the best-selling memoir, Somebody's Daughter. I should say New York Times best-selling memoir because, you know, people will just say best-selling when it's like on any list. It's a New York Times best-selling <laughs> memoir. And currently hosts Into the Mix, a podcast about joy and justice. I would add, too, she's a really great thinker and speaker. Um, this is an incredibly wise woman who you really need to listen to. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thanks for being here. Janae, thank you so much for having me. This is really exciting. I am a frequent reader of Dear Prudy, and I feel honored to be here today. I can't wait to hear what you think about these letters. But first off, give me your one piece of unsolicited advice. My one piece of unsolicited advice is to be on your own side more than anybody else. Hmm. See, that's something we could like turn into Instagram art and make it go viral. That's good. (laughs) People need to hear that. I love it. It's important. Okay, I'm going to see if that comes up in any of these letters and I bet it will apply somewhere. So with that, Ashley and I will dive into your questions after a short break. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with Ashley C. Ford. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled, Sad Now or Later? I'm in my first real relationship, and I'm really happy. I think I might be in love for the first time. The problem is that I don't want kids, but he does. This is not a problem for now. We're both in our early 20s and in the first couple years of five-plus-year PhD programs. So realistically, it wouldn't really be an issue anytime soon. But this seems like one of the few things you can't just work through or compromise on. I just don't know whether we should keep dating, knowing we will eventually have to split up and it will be miserable, or go our separate ways before we build our lives around each other. We've been dating for about six months, and I haven't been this happy in years. And he is always telling me how happy he is that I'm in his life. We've hinted at this conversation, but haven't had it seriously. But do we have to? I think I want to just enjoy this love and be happy and have the support of a loving partner in my difficult program. But should we break up before it becomes too hard? Is it so bad to be together knowing we have an expiration date, or will that just make the breakup and life change worse? How do I have this conversation with him? You know what I caught myself doing when I was reading this letter? What? That awful cliche thing that everyone says to women who want to be child-free. Well, who knows? You might change your mind. 
Right. You might change your mind later. Um, that's annoying. So that's not the response. I don't know. Oh, you don't know? I don't know, Janae. I think that might be the response because that's what's true mm-hmm. is that you might change your mind later and also they might change their mind later and you both might change your minds later. It, it could end up in any possible direction, right? Right. I guess I wonder what the conversation is now, mm. knowing that it's possible that mind changing could happen. And it's mm-hmm. also possible that it couldn't. Like, mm-hmm. I do want to give the letter writer the respect that maybe she's known this about herself since she was 12. And maybe she has strong reasons. And maybe she doesn't want to hear us um, saying mm-hmm. what all her, her aunties and family members say to her about how she might change her mind. <laughs> For real. And that makes sense. But it's also just reality. Mm-hmm. Reality is that people change their minds about things all the time. I for sure thought I would have kids by now. I thought I would know. I thought I did know. Mm. And I thought that I would have them at this point in my life. And the fact that I don't is a matter completely of my own making and right. decision making, which is a surprise to me. But that is my reality. And I think that's reality for a lot of people is that you change your mind or things happen in life and it it shifts your thinking. You have realizations. It's always going to happen. Mm -hmm. What I worry about with the letter writer is the idea that you can protect yourself from Mm. future pain by making decisions now based on a hypothetical you in the future because you cannot know. Man, so much of what we read in letters about relationships has to do with people trying so hard to protect themselves from future pain, Mm -hmm. which I think is healthy, right? For sure. Some of it is strategic and some of it makes sense. Um, Like if someone's mistreating you now, you want to protect yourself from future pain by not staying with them and finding someone who treats you better. But this really is something kind of off in the future. Let me ask you, so you're hosting this podcast, Going Mm -hmm. Through It. And in the last season, you talked with people about their decisions about having children or not having children. Mm -hmm. And you also shared a little bit about your own thinking on the subject. Mm -hmm. Do you mind sharing, like, where are you with that? And what did you Mm -hmm. learn from the podcast? Yeah, well, first I'll say what I learned from the podcast, what I already suspected, but I think I had reaffirmed in the conversations that I had is that the the decision whether or not to become a parent is wildly personal. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most personal decisions you can make based on your personal feelings, values, beliefs, desires, and it, your ability to be honest with yourself about those things. Mm-hmm. It is just, and the outcomes also wildly personal and individual, how people end up feeling about parenthood on the other side of making that decision. And I think what I learned from it, you know, ultimately was that I, I, all of this was really going to come down to me. And there wasn't going to be any one conversation that sparked something that I was like, oh, I never thought of that before. Mm -hmm. There was never going to be a moment where I was holding somebody else's kid and think like, oh, I've never felt like this before. It was really going to come down to me deciding, look, you're either going to do it or you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. That's it. And where I am right now in my relationship and personally 
is that, you know, we have not closed that door completely by any means, Mm -hmm. but we are also um, not actively working toward that as a goal. Right. We're just not. And that feels good to us right now. That feels like the right thing right now. And I think that that has to be the thing I have to have at the forefront of my mind when thinking about whether or not to take on the enormous job of parenthood Mm -hmm. is right now, does it feel right? Right now, does it feel right? Right. I think I heard you say, and this was several years ago, I Mm -hmm. believe it was in a conversation on the long form podcast, tell me if I'm wrong. I remember you saying that your husband, Kelly, said to you, I'm fine with our family, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I love our family if it's the two of us and a dog yep. and the people in our community. Like yes. maybe we'll have kids, but if we don't, I love the family we have. And yes. that seems like a really strong position to start from yes. if both people are on the same page, right? For sure. For sure. The ideal position, though, when deciding to make a child is one of the two people at the very least really want to have a child. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, like it's important to them. They deeply desire it. Right. You know, um, and I, I, I think that Kelly is still in that mindset of, I want to have the family you want to have. And I think we could have a beautiful family with a child. And I think we could have a beautiful family, just the two of us. Mm -hmm. And either way, it's a beautiful family because we're together. You know, like that, that's his position. So the ball is truly in my court and has been for some time now. Yeah, And I have dribbled the crap out of that ball. I'm traveling all over this court because I'm not ready to give it up or shoot. I think that makes a lot of sense. You can't imagine what it will be like. Mm -hmm. And I think some people say, you know, I've wanted to be a parent since I was three years old and I had my dolls and all I've ever wanted to be is a mom. And I actually wasn't that way at all. I was someone who said, uh, you know, I would like to have kids, but it's not like I would like go through IVF or something. Right. Guess we went through IVF. (laughs) Right. Um, And it's interesting how for me, what actually changed my position really strongly about it is I started trying to have a kid like right after I got married, I was 37 Mm -hmm. or something and had a couple of miscarriages. Mm -hmm. And it was actually those miscarriages that made me realize, oh my God, I really did want this. Yeah, because at the trying point, it was more, well, I guess it's now or never. And I guess I'll just do it. So it just goes to show that, I guess, to your first point, people can really change their minds. You never know what will change your mind. Can I give you my unsolicited advice about whether to have kids? I think one thing that's become obvious to me is that I hear people in these discussions, like on your podcast about whether to have children saying, well, I don't know, I'm really selfish, or I really like to sleep in, or Mm -hmm. I really don't like a schedule, or I really, you know, don't like a lot of responsibility. And I think that's very valid to know. Mm -hmm. But also, I think becoming a parent changes you into a different person. So you're still you, but you're you with like, more capacity, more motivation, Um, more tolerance for things that it's like you just get infused with like a new reserve of energy. So I always want people to keep in mind that it's not going to be you, the person who loves to sleep till noon on Saturday. It will be you, but you'll also have this extra 
thing that mm-hmm. makes that makes it less unbearable to get F because you know the love is like very powerful in all situations, not just parental love. I used to be a nanny, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was that way with those kids. I mean, I, I remember. Like it's the, I always tell people like it's a job I could go back to. I know that for sure because I never, it, the early mornings never bothered me mm-hmm. when it was that job. When I was going to get there and wow. see them, yeah, it, it, it just wasn't like, it wasn't hard to get up. It wasn't hard to get there and be excited and ready to get breakfast together and play and plan yeah. our day. Like that never bothered me. That's amazing. Even a little bit. But you know that, I mean, but that's one of the things that I realized when I was a nanny, you know, was that, oh man, I, I don't know. Well, I, it's not that I don't know. I, I, I think what I realized was true was that I was really good at the job mm-hmm. of parenting. I was really good at the work of it. Um, but that was not the same as wanting it. Mm. Yeah, you can be good at something, like just like a job, right? You can be phenomenal yeah. at a job and not want to have that job for another minute. Yeah. Yeah. There there are things I, I know I would be very good at things I know I would just kill as a job, but I also know that I don't, I have not enjoyed the experiences I've had doing that job. Right. You know, and and is that okay? You know, am Mm -hmm. I okay with that? In most cases, yes. With parenthood, the question is still in the air. (laughs) Totally. So I guess going back to the letter writer, do you think there is a conversation that needs to be had right now or a decision that needs to be made now or anytime during this PhD program in the next five or six years? I think there's a lot of stuff you have to figure out in a relationship before you figure out whether or not you want to have kids with this person, Mm -hmm. you know, before you even get there. So I think it's a great opportunity to have a serious conversation about your feelings and your fears, you know, that this is leading ultimately nowhere because of this issue, you Mm -hmm. know, but allow that person into that feeling and that fear that you're having. Give them the opportunity to explain their position, possibly soothe your fears about Mm -hmm. this issue. You know, wanting kids or being interested in having kids for sure and are are just not the same thing. (laughs) You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Being interested and definitely wanting them are not the same thing. Right. And I think that that conversation gives you the opportunity to, at the very least, see how this person communicates mm-hmm. when you open up and when you're vulnerable about your fears about the future, or your concerns about the future of their relationship. What a beautiful opportunity to see if they can even show up for you in that way. Mm. And if you feel like you can't talk to them about it, that's not a great sign for the future of the relationship in a few months, let alone, you know, the years later when you both are out of the PhD program and properly in the working world and figuring out your lives. You know, there's, this is a, it's trying to make a decision about the 10th step when you're on the second. Right. You know, why not let yourself get through a few more steps before you overly concern yourself with an issue that is not soon to come to pass? I think that makes so much sense. And I love that. Like, use this as fodder 
for investigating and interrogating who you two are as a couple Mm -hmm. and what you can handle. I had a much more calculating and concrete piece of advice. (laughs) Tell me what you think, which was they're in their early 20s. Let's say they're 23. Mm -hmm. They're probably going to break up for an unrelated reason anyway. So I would say take two years to enjoy each other. Mm -hmm. Reevaluate when you're 25. If you're still on completely different pages, it's time to consciously uncouple. I guess this is more advice for her partner. The biological timeline isn't as intense for men, but just like back of the envelope calculation, you know, he might want to have kids before he's like 35 or so, maybe if he ultimately Mm -hmm. is having kids with someone around the same age. So he probably wants to have the first one at 32. So he probably wants to be married for a little bit more, ideally. Let's say he wants to be married at 30. He probably needs to meet his partner who he'll have kids with at 28. So it makes sense to me that he should be single and dating starting at 25. I hate to be so calculating about it, but this makes sometimes sense you to have me. to. This makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Like I, I understand. I, I tend to stay away from the calculations because math was never my strong suit. <laughs> it wasn't mine but... either. That's why I had to write it down. <laughs> <laughs> but that all makes sense to me when I'm thinking about, you know, being fair to another mm-hmm. person and making sure that they get the opportunity to get what they want if you're not going to be the person who can give that to them. Yeah. And ultimately the ball is in his court because he's the one who wants the kids. Yep. But um, I think what she owes him is is just honesty and an ongoing conversation about it. And two years of doing their best and then coming back to the table. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Ashley C. Ford, to answer your letters. And the next one is titled, I'm Not With The Band. I have a problem with a friend and don't know what to do. I met this friend 13 years ago when we studied abroad and were roommates. We had a lot in common, especially our taste in music, and stayed in touch when our semester abroad was over. Basically, every year since, we have taken turns visiting each other. We live several states apart, gone to concerts together, and become integrated in each other's friend groups. About two years ago, her partner and now husband, a musician, joined a pretty famous American rock band as a touring member. This was really cool at first. It's a band we initially bonded over, and their music was a pretty solid foundation to our friendship. The problem is... Ever since he joined the band, it's literally the only thing my friend wants to talk about. Initially, I chalked it up to the novelty of it all and thought the excitement would eventually wear off and we go back to discussing other topics. But even two years later, if I see her name on my phone, I know it's going to be a text that has something to do with this band. And it always does. In the past six months, I've had a baby and gotten married, yet this friend has not asked me a single question about either life-altering experience. The only time we talk, we are talking about the lead singer of this band or who she met backstage or when her husband is going back on tour and to where. She has an uncanny ability to make everything about this band. Everything is six degrees of separation from band name redacted. It's exhausting. I am at the point where I want to just stop responding to messages and create some distance, but it feels wrong to give up on our 10-year-plus friendship. 
On the other hand, I have new responsibilities and plenty of close friends who are genuinely interested in what is going on in my life. I love this friend and I miss how things used to be, but it's starting to feel like the only thing we have left is this band and I'm just not a fan. So I know this is advice to the letter writer and not Judge Janae issuing a ruling, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm on the friend's side here. Okay. Um, so just gently pushing back on the letter writer. We're talking about text messages here. Yep. Why is it exhausting? And do you know what stood out to me? Are you the letter writer texting her? Are you contributing any content? When I put myself in the friend's shoes, I can imagine her thinking... My friend and I have a huge bond over this band. My husband is in the band. I can't wait to tell her about everything. You know, she just had a baby, but I'm not going to treat her like motherhood is her whole life. I know she still has her old interests. I know she would love this story. I share my marathon training updates with my athlete friend. I share my workplace gripes with my coworker. And when I have a cool experience with the band, I share it with my band friend. Um, you know, she doesn't have a lot to say about her life right now, but I'm sure she's just busy with the new baby. So I try to keep the friendship going by talking about something we both love. That's me speaking for the friend here. That is so funny because I felt very similarly. I Hmm. felt like there is a good chance that this friend who the letter writer who has gotten married and had a baby, um, their lives probably look very different right now. Um, I feel like the letter writer maybe has some feelings about that, that she has clearly not expressed mm-hmm. um, to the friend who's sharing things. I think you're right that the friend probably feels like, you know, yes, we have these different lives right now, but this is me trying to continue to keep the connection by sharing this particular part that has always been part of our connection. Right. I want this you is to our feel, thing. I want you to feel like you're part of it as yeah. well. You know, it is meant to be inclusive. So I felt like if the letter writer is feeling this way, um, the first thing she has to do in, in my estimation is communicate with her friend. Mm-hmm. If you have a 10 plus year friendship on the line, you don't let that go because you interpret a person's actions a certain way and you just peter off. Right. Um, if this person, if you love this person and they're still important to you and you want the relationship to be a certain way, you have to participate in making it that way. And that demands communication that may feel pretty close to confrontation mm-hmm. um, and you should lead with what's going on with you um, because that's what you know right before you start making accusations from your friends so I actually I, I wrote something down that I was like okay what's the text that I would send to my friend about you know what I'm what I'm hoping for uh, to get out of this person? And I wrote, hey, this might be silly, but these last couple of years, getting used to being a new mom and being in a new marriage, sometimes I feel a little uninteresting and invisible to my friends who are on different paths. I'm really excited about this time in your life, but would it be okay if I told you about a few things that have been going on with me? I could really use a friend to listen right now. Oh my God, that's so good. It gave me a little chill. You know, like it's an opportunity just to reach out and let them know how you're feeling instead of assuming that A, they're trying to make you feel a certain way or B, you feel a certain way in your interactions because of their lack of consideration. You haven't checked in about their consideration. They don't know how much you need to be considered at this time. 
or how unconsidered you feel. Absolutely. And I always try to think when giving advice, is this something I would actually do or does it feel too hard? And I know direct confrontation, even beautifully stated, um, like you've laid it out there, is just too hard sometimes. So I would also say that the letter writer, um, without issuing any sort of a complaint about how things are, can simply take some initiative to change the direction of their communication. So you can, I don't, I don't read anywhere in this that she's saying, I'm trying to talk about my baby and I'm trying to talk about my job and I'm trying to talk about my aging parents and I'm trying to talk about my hobby and my Etsy store and she's not listening. So it seems the letter writer has just been passive and is just absorbing this banned content resentfully. And I would say, just put yourself out there and take the lead talking about things that you want to talk about. And you, that doesn't even require an announcement that I don't like the way things have been going. You can just sort of take the wheel and um, send the texts that represent the content that you want to discuss with her. Absolutely. Tend to the garden of the friendship. Exactly. So don't let this go. Um, friendship is hard. Long distance friendship is hard. Friendship as people are transitioning from one life stage to each other sort of at different rates is especially hard. And there was nothing in this letter about anyone being unkind or cruel or having a bad agenda. So I'm just, I'm really hopeful um, that this can be worked out with just like, just a little action on the letter writer's part instead of just being passive and not liking the situation. I agree. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Ashley and I are about to tackle our last question for the day. Ashley, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. This letter is titled, Plane Ride. I love my girlfriend, but she has no sense of time at all. She leaves everything to the last minute and then freaks out because we'll hit traffic and we'll miss the movie or the show or the tax office. Drives me nuts. If I verbally remind her, I'm nagging. And if I point it out after the fact, I'm gloating. If I give her lists or set alarms, I'm being petty. We had non-refundable airline tickets, only once our ride was here, she was still packing. I left her ticket on the counter and told her if she was on the plane with me, good. But if not, I was leaving, with or without her. She wasn't on the plane, and we've been fighting about it ever since. She can't believe I left her behind, and I can't believe she expected me to waste expensive tickets and miss my vacation because she couldn't pack properly. Is this relationship doomed? We get along on every other level but this one. You know what this letter made me think about? What? I miss the heyday of Twitter when people would fight about stuff like this, you know? A letter like this could cause a really good kind of like battle of the sexes, just really hostile fight. And all day It could go on for a few days and kind of like just take over a week. Um, That doesn't happen anymore now that everyone left Twitter. So um, I couldn't help but think when I read this about how I've heard you talk about your own marriage Mm. and how you write and speak and say stuff on social media about being loved as a reminder to other people that they can have that no matter who they are. Mm -hmm. One quote 
you've said, what if you can get everything you want, not in terms of a perfect person, but a person who adores you and will never give up on you? Mm-hmm. Leading question, but does it sound like that's what's happening in this letter? No. <laughs> no. You know, I, I can't help but when I read something like this, think, you know, how would we deal with that in, in my relationship or how would we mm-hmm. deal with that in my marriage with Kelly? And in this letter specifically being like, oh, we have, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this was me. Like I I was definitely the person who was not getting things together until the last minute being super stressed out, having like panic about it, freaking mm-hmm. out about it, you know. And I was thinking, you know, what's different about the way the letter writer de- dealt with that in their partner and the way um, Kelly dealt with me in that role when when we were um, together, but before we were married. Yeah, what did he do? Kelly came to me. He had complained about it like a couple times. Like it happened, he complained about it. I was defensive about it. Mm -hmm. And then I, I think we were planning a trip somewhere. I can't remember where. And about a week before the trip, he sat down with me on the couch he said, hey, I wanted to talk to you about the trip. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'm thinking we're talking about what are we going to do? What are we going to eat? You mm-hmm. know, whatever. But then he was like, I want to talk about our plan for getting things together for the trip and making sure we're prepared and ready to go. Because traditionally, we get really stressed out before we're supposed to get on the plane. You know, we're doing things last minute. We're worried about being late. He was like, and I just don't want to start our trips like that anymore. Mm-hmm. It it takes away from the fun and it gives us anxiety instead of excitement. He was like, so I was thinking, what are some of the things that we traditionally struggle with right before we're going to leave? And mm-hmm. so we started talking about what it is. For him, it was like he would be, be so excited about it that like he would just want everything to go perfectly. And it going perfectly felt like an essential part of the fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) was that it had to go according to plan, according to his itinerary, right? And mine was, you know, clothes and and outfits and packing and and being overwhelmed by like what I could take, what I couldn't take, what I should take, what I had no way to really like at that point, like I couldn't see what I would need. You know, you can sort of think about and see, we, I, I had no ability to do that. So I was yeah. just throwing things in there right before I left. And he was like, well, okay, well then um, pull out a piece of paper, wrote down, these are the the days we're going to be gone. These, uh, you know, this is this day, this day, this day. What do we do on this day? What do we do on this day? What outfit do you want to wear for this? What outfit do you want to wear for that? Mm -hmm. What kind of shoes do you think you'll need for the whole trip? Do we need one bag or two bags ready to go? Are your suitcases already unpacked from the last trip (laughs) and and ready to go? Is there anything you can think of that you're going to want to wear and we can get the laundry done for that at the beginning of the week so that we know that it's clean when we get to the day when we're packed? You know, he... And and this is, I think, the difference between these two situations is that he recognized that I had an individual need that mm-hmm. he could partner with me on, and then we could both have a better experience. Right. Because he wasn't just like, look, I'm tired of right. being late and how I feel. And I'm setting an alarm for happening. you. And I'm setting an alarm for you. 
here's a list of what you need to get done this week. You right. know, there was no paternalistic, uh, I, I'm, you know, I need to show you how to do it better. He had a lot of compassion for the fact that he could see that I was struggling in mm-hmm. those moments. You think she want to be late? Of course not. You think she wants to be throwing things in her suitcase last minute? You think she really just doesn't care about how you feel about it and whether or not you guys are going to fight about it, even though she knows you are? Mm-hmm. You think she wants to miss her flight to somewhere cool with these expensive tickets, wherever they're going? If they're expensive, it's somewhere she wanted right. to go. <laughs> you think she wanted to miss that flight? You think she wanted? Like, of course not. Like nobody, people struggle with disorganization. Right. People struggle. I certainly did. And I am so much better now that like my husband will literally sometimes be like, look at you. Like you got your laundry done. Your bags are packed. You, you already scheduled the car to get you to the airport. You know, like where your gate is, you're checked in, you picked your seat, you did all Mm -hmm. the things that like make this comfortable for you. You're going to have a really good time. And has he also been willing to work on his perfectionism? Absolutely. His desire for the trip to be like perfect at every moment. He had to. Yeah. He had to. It couldn't just be me. He also had to deal with the fact that, you know, helping me get prepared is not his perfect way. (laughs) Right. Of getting ready for the trip, you know, the the fact that I forget things sometimes, you know, that we end up having to like buy in the airport or buy when we get to our location. That doesn't. It, and the fact that that like might mess up our itinerary a lot, a little bit, that doesn't bug him the way it used to. It doesn't then make the day a failure or a waste. It doesn't. He doesn't take on the responsibility of feeling like ashamed, like he should have, he should have, he sh- right. and then it would be perfect. If I had, then it would be perfect. Right. He has had to let that go as much as I've had to let that go. Because in my perfect way, I do it all myself. I think this is what I struggle with. Um, I admittedly leap to being judgmental about bad relationships. Oh, for sure. And a couple of therapists I've had on the podcast have been like, wow, just you're just going to tell people to break up? Like, no, this is an opportunity <laughs> <laughs> to work on things. This is great material. But I wonder right. the generosity of spirit that you and Kelly showed to each other with that conflict mm-hmm. Do you think that's a relationship skill or just a reflection of who you both are? Because I tend to think your travel dilemma worked out because you were both like reasonable, kind, caring, Mm -hmm. open-minded people, right? And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can take two people who default to like snapping at each other, being defensive and leaving each other (laughs) at the gate or whatever and just, and give them instructions to be generous if they don't feel Mm -hmm. that way. I slightly disagree. Okay. Uh, But only based off this. I think that a lot of the way that Kelly and I are the way, the way that we um, have been able to be gentle with each other and learn how to be even more gentle with each other over time. That's all been a skill. That's all been something that we learned. What I think is inherent and what was really important um, for both of us and to both of us is that we are always going to try mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we never really want to hurt each other. Mm-hmm. That's what's important. We're always going to give trying a shot. We're always going, if we've been doing something and trying to communicate a certain way and it's not working, then we're going to try something else. And we are both always in for that, for the good of the relationship, for the good of both of us getting to live big, full lives individually and together. For the good of the relationship. For That's the, the good key. of the relationship. I think going yes. back to what I said about the Twitter fights, like mm-hmm. this just reminds me of like the debates over, well, should the first day just be coffee or should you have to pay or should you have to <laughs> right. cook for someone? I just feel that when you're approaching a relationship from an adversarial place, and even when you're looking at what's reasonable, what's fair, what you can do, who's right or wrong, you've already kind of lost, right? Yes. And that's what I worry about with this couple. So I just, the question, is this relationship doomed? I would say yes, if you both (laughs) keep thinking this way. If you both keep putting your needs before the relationship, yes, it's doomed. If you are willing to follow in the model of Ashley and Kelly, no, it's not doomed, but it's up to you too. It's not, it's not going it to work if you continue to each do what you can argue is fair or reasonable and basically be adversarial with each other. Right, right. It's got to be important enough to try and do something different right. because you've done all these things that you said aren't working. These aren't all the things you can do. They might just be all the things you're comfortable doing. And that requires some self-reflection. And I think that that's the thing. Like sometimes when you have these impasses with a couple, you have to understand that while one person might be doing something that's more overtly egregious, there might be two parts to play in fixing the problem. Absolutely. So letter writer, if you are on vacation by yourself when you're hearing this by any chance, um, give it some thought. Give it some thought. Give... Give the fact that you chose to be on vacation by yourself instead of working with your partner before this happened. Like Ashley said, she needs to be different too. You both need to have a fresh start and Mm -hmm. set an intention for your relationship, not for um, each of you to just like dig your heels in and defend the way you are. Because if you do that, then yeah, you may as as well just book separate vacations for next time because you don't like to be around each other. Separate lives. (laughs) Separate lives. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. Listen and subscribe to Ashley's podcast, Into the Mix, where she brings you stories of struggle and success from everyday people at the heart of our greatest fights. And if you haven't already, go and grab your copy of her New York Times bestselling memoir, Somebody's Daughter. You can also follow her on Instagram at smashfizzle. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. If you'd like to hear your questions answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Maura Curry. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your Dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.